Hey, and welcome to Shitty Book Reports, where the reports are shitty, but the books are not. I'm Mark. I'm here with Trevor. How are you feeling today, Trevor? I'm feeling all right, but I also feel like uh, the world's busiest mole person. How are you feeling? Yeah, you're working on a Sunday. <laughs> uh, I... <laughs> I'm feeling pretty good too, I, I, but I feel like a character actor in you know everyone else's story. Oh, okay. Um, I think the internet discovered. Isn't there like a something that like some Reddit forum or something discovered that there's like a word for that? There's like a German or a Japanese word that means like you realize that you're only one in eight billion people or however many people there are. Yeah, that's just how Reddit works. It's like someone will throw out any idea and it'll be like, hey. Hi, clinical psycho <laughs> clinical psychologist here. Actually, like <laughs> what you're describing, yeah, that that always happens. Yep. Anywhere you go, but anywhere. <laughs> so we're uh, back to recording on Sunday mornings. We like that. Yes, very good. Yeah, our we got we're a very Sunday podcast, I think. Mm-hmm. And I hope people listen to us on their Sunday. Yeah, it's a nice time. It's, it's hard to differentiate <laughs> something to like differentiate days from mm-hmm. other days now. <laughs> Impossible. Yeah. So to start this week off, I thought um, we talk about something that is this should be fun. Um, have you ever heard of the John Waters quote? And I say that I'm just saying John <laughs> Waters quote. And are you going to be able to fill in the blank? Already? I- I think I can. Did he once famously say, um, you know, if you go home with someone and they don't have books, don't fuck them? Exactly that. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's that's it. among the many famous John Waters quotes. That's his famous book quote. Exactly. That's so I'm glad you picked up on that. Um, so I wanted to talk this week about a it's like I'm, I'm talking about a specific Twitter post or a Reddit post or whatever, but. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, making the rounds recently, but it doesn't matter which one I'm talking about because it's a carbon copy of the one that happens all the time. It makes the rounds every few months. And that's just kind of how social media is sometimes like it's very cyclical. Like there's always, you know, the infinite jest discourse happens like once every three months, like to the on the dot. Uh, (laughs) And so it's it's part of this cyclical genre like literary red flags you know what i mean by that like like the john waters quote is about like oh if they don't have any books like you know hard pass but Mm -hmm. then it's evolved into you know very specific this book is a red flag this book is a red flag this author is a red flag so are are you ready to hear this and then also defend yourself (laughs) yes (laughs) i'll defend myself and hear it Okay, so this um, so this specific one, and again, like I said, it happens. There's like a hundred million examples of this, but it's on uh, it's from it's from Twitter, but it's a Reddit screenshot. R slash female dating strategy. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> so F- FDS FDS the podcast. You gotta uh, you have to wonder how many people on this Reddit forum are legitimate. Do the, the do they have like a like a thing that you can post that you're you're like a confirmed female or is it just <laughs> female dating strategy written by a bunch of Reddit bros? Yeah, exactly. It very well, very possibly could be. Uh, so let me let me read this off now. So the uh, the title is here's a great and fun way to filter out men that me and my friends have tried and has been proven accurate. OK. Ask them what their favorite book is. 
If it's Atlas Shrugged, run. If it's <laughs> Catcher in the Rye or The Great Gatsby, then it's likely he hasn't read a book since high school. Maybe okay, but he's probably boring. If it's anything by Margaret Atwood or Toni Morrison, he's lying to get into your pants. Mm. Any classic sci-fi or fantasy is acceptable, but be very wary of men who are too enthusiastic about sci-fi and fantasy. Biographies are also acceptable, but obviously it depends on who it's about. Anything by Franzen, Palahniuk, uh, Palahniuk, mm-hmm. Pynchon, or Chab- Chabon, Michael Chabon, right? How do you pronounce that? Chabon, Chabon, Ch- Chabon. Run. Vonnegut? Wow. I mean, use caution, <laughs> but generally okay. Dickens? Make sure he's not lying, but Dickens is a win. As mentioned above, be a little wary if it's something by a female author, because he's probably lying and trying to F- to fuck you. <laughs> Unless it's Frankenstein. I've been used to censoring myself. Uh, around the uh the infant that i have unless it's frankenstein then he's an adorable weirdo if you're into that if it's harry potter then it means he's too young slash immature for you unless you're into harry potter yourself then i'm sorry if he's into any major 19th century russian literature e.g the brothers karamazov by Fyodor dostoevsky then he's most likely a pessimistic misanthrope disillusioned by humanity mm. now if he only reads nonfiction, then it depends on the subject if his favorite book is a fitness-related book, then it's likely he has some self-loathing issues to some degree. If a guy has a standard generic exercise advice book, then you should be okay. But if his favorite book is Sun and Steel, run away and never look back. <laughs> if it's an art book, then make sure it's works related to art fundamentals and or the old masters and not weeb shit. Now the weeb most diverse topic. <laughs> now the most diverse topic, history. Avoid du- World War II history buffs. If they're into world history in general, it's fine, as long as it's not just World War II, as well as anyone too obsessed with the Romans. But if they're into anything by Will and Ariel Durnot, then you've found a keeper. Oh, uh, the, I guess it's Durant. The Durants always give a nuanced portrayal of history and always mention the status of women for every civilization they discuss in that time period. As for philosophy, avoid anyone into Aristotle, Nietzsche, and especially Derrida and Foucault. Kant and Hegel is generally okay. <laughs> and so that, that was it <laughs> there's some hard lines and i feel like that post reveals more about the poster the the person posting than like general like advice <laughs> that like <laughs> it's just so weird <laughs> if he if he has an aristotle poster above his bed <laughs> run out of there Everyone so, knows that Plato's cave metaphor is so played out. <laughs> so what do you think about uh, – so Pynchon is, is a red flag. Run. Pynchon Run away from Pynchon, Chabon, Palahniuk. Uh, who else was there in there? Uh, Franzen. Franzen. I agree with that one. Well, yeah, you don't like Franzen. I don't know. Well, first of all, it's hard to – I don't know. From what you've said, I think I've said on the podcast before, but what you've said of Franzen has actually made me stop like from reading him literally probably now at this point for like a decade. <laughs> like because <laughs> he was like he's like very popular, very like well respected, but then your, you know, w- recommendation is gold and your trash talk is also gold. So it's like uh, of of all the times I've seen, what is his big one? Let's call like freedom, right? Or something. Yeah, like that. corrections. All the time I see, if I ever see freedom, I'm like, I am not going to buy this. Like, Fran, like, 
But I don't know, like, from what you, I guess my point is, from what you've said before, I don't know if Franzen could, like, go in the same category as, like, Pynchon, but it's it, maybe the David Foster Wallace connection. Yeah, I was surprised to not see DFW on this on this list. I um, think it I would be in that same category. Yeah, definitely from this, I would assume he's a red flag. But, like, um, yeah. <laughs> so Dostoevsky, like, if you like Dostoevsky, it automatically means that you're like a doomer or whatever. Yeah, I would. Uh, I thought it was unfair that they were saying like there's only a certain like acceptable amount of acceptability to like be into fantasy. It's like, don't you want <laughs> to like date someone who is you know like you know if they like something, go for it. Not like, oh, I'm kind of into reading Game of Thrones. <laughs> like, you know, if you're gonna read something for six thousand pages. Please be into it. Yeah, that's weird. And it's also like, if you if you were to ask someone what their favorite book is, that's a really hard question to answer. And if you're if you have an answer right off the bat and it's like something like that, then you probably are making it up. It's <laughs> <laughs> just I don't know. But um, I feel what, like the only would... the only acceptable answer to what is your favorite book or what is your favorite it's like the same thing with favorite song or whatever it's like that's just like it, this is not like a conversation that's like a one-off thing this is like let's talk for like two hours <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah it's not like a speed dating question or whatever um well i feel like the only true red flags would this would be like nonfiction that's just like how to cheat and get get away with it or whatever like <laughs> like if you're just talking about fiction that's also assuming that someone like forms their identity around their favorite book which is not i don't think that's accurate <laughs> yeah right i was waiting to hear like because you like i've talked on the podcast a billion times and done like a couple episodes you know like to me this type of post like i could definitely see mishima being a red flag one of my favorite art artists like of all time but if someone was like i'm really into mishima and how he like killed himself and tried to overthrow the government that could definitely be a red flag but i think i see him hopefully from a different angle yeah what do you think's a red flag though if you had to take in the mindset of this person um what about again? like what would you think is your red flag what's your red if someone's like too into like eight oh, million uh, uh harlequin brett, romance novels or something like no, brett easton just ellis. In order. oh that's a good call brett easton ellis if they're like really into how cynical brett easton ellis is and you know american psycho and everything it's like okay whatever and then i guess another like <laughs> you wouldn't really i don't know in the dating world i guess you could like you know how we've talked before about how there are those like romance novels that have like literally like, you know, the, they take up a whole bookshelf at yeah, these bookstores yeah. where it's like yeah, the Harlequin. Yeah. Like you go over to their house or whatever. And it's like, they have like shelves and shelves and shelves of the same like romance series. That would be like, <laughs> I don't know. This is like bizarre. <laughs> what if you had every James Patterson book and that's it? <laughs> every james patterson or what's that guy who we always shit on the baldacci baldacci <laughs> baldacci every all baldacci all the time yeah <laughs> this reminded me so much of like uh the deal breakers thing that liz lemon did in 30 rock 
Yeah. You know, that's a deal breaker. Like, ladies, if your man's favorite book is is one fish, two fish, red fish, red fish, blue fish, then walk away. Never look back. (laughs) Oh, that's good stuff. If his favorite book is Mad Libs, the the series. (laughs) Mad Libs, the series. His own Mad Libs. Yeah. Do you have any personal red flags, though, that you're like, oh, I don't want to display this on the shelf? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, I've I mean, talked before about on the yeah. podcast about how, uh, especially in like commuter cities like New York City and London and stuff, that a book is like a fashion statement. Yeah. So there's definitely like some stuff where it's like, I want to be reading this, but I don't want to be displaying it. Um, but I think that always comes from like your own like insecurities. It's never really like actually a thing. Um, I can't, I can't recall right now anything where I was like, oh, I don't want to like be seen reading that. Maybe if I like, if I'm rereading, I, I reread Harry Potter in my mid twenties and I made a conscious decision to have it be on Kindle because I didn't want to be like <laughs> carrying around Harry Potter, like on the subway. Yeah. So, okay. but having said that, like Harry Potter rules. <laughs> so and the, yeah, they, they said that was a red flag. It's like I don't know about that. That that's like a at this point, Harry Potter is like a nostalgia thing, right? It's like if people were like, "I love the Lord of the Rings movies," it's like, yeah, me too, because they came out yeah. when we were like thirteen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that kind of reminds me of like a uh, there was some tweet like ten years ago or something, but it was like a great invention would be uh, some headphones that emit like a really low like hip hop style beat or whatever on the outside. So you can listen to like Muppets soundtrack really loud on the inside. (laughs) (laughs) So you can listen to stuff and not like, and people think that you're just whatever in the background, (laughs) the fake, the, the, uh, the fake out. Yeah. Yeah. But then it's like 10 times worse if they actually discover the truth. (laughs) Exactly. It's like, if you're, sitting on the you know on the subway and you your book cover is like you know edgar Allan poe or whatever and then you're really reading twilight or something true that should be is that a thing can you do people sell like fake book covers if they don't i think we just (laughs) we just gave another idea it's like a book jacket kind of thing yeah. Remember doing those like book jackets in like, like with like the old shopping bags when you, when we were kids. Yeah. That, that could be t- another thing, like make your book anonymous. I don't want people to know what I'm reading, but anyways, that's, uh, that's the topic of the week. Red literary, flags. literary red flags. Any listeners out there, tell us what your red flags. I have like movie and TV show red flags, but I don't have, I don't have as many book red flags. Um, but one thing that I'll say outside of the literary world, but I always said, like, it's a this is actually a red flag on guys, not on, okay. not on women. And I think it's like a huge red flag when people watch Breaking Bad and they think that his wife is like a super bitch. Oh, yeah. I mean, like you watch Breaking Bad and like there was like a whole movement of like red pill weirdos who are like Skylar and the actor who plays her is such a bitch and whatever. And it's like you don't understand the show. You don't, <laughs> you don't get it. 
Tony Soprano's a, a really good guy. Yeah, it's like just because <laughs> someone's the main character, they've been like tricked into like he's doing it for his family, and it's like that's not what the show is about. It's about how he <laughs> started that way and then became a fucking monster freak. Yeah, that's a little bit better when you're like instead of just being like, oh, if you if you like Breaking Bad at all, then you suck. Yeah, you gotta like, get down. You gotta get down. Break it down a little more. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. This this post we we need to go deeper than just yes or no on a certain book. Yeah. Like you know what? It, it's more legitimate to me to be like, where do you fall on like Snape? Like, what do you think of? Him? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Critical theory. Critical theory. Okay. So I think you're you're up first this week. This is episode 66. Wow. Okay. Uh, so this week, I decided to dive into this gigantic pile of new books that my girlfriend gave me now. Like I have a uh, my whole year figured out now. And so this week, I started with a memoir of a young girl's experience in the Chinese culture, cultural revolution of the mid sixties. Uh, so it's, yeah, a memoir. It's more, uh, nonfiction. And, uh, it was a nice, nice start to the year for me. I think this is our first 2021 podcast, isn't it? Right. Yes. Yes. So the, yeah, the, uh, cultural revolution started in 1966. And that was, you know, a communist movement launched by uh, Chairman Mao of the Communist Party of China. Mm-hmm. So what I read this week was 1993's Red Azalea by Anchi Min. Interesting. Anchi- this is like interesting to me because I literally say all the time to Daria, my wife, I'm like, I I feel like I need to read more about like Mao because I don't really get it. I don't fully yeah. understand. Like his brand of evil is very unique. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And so, I mean, I'll get into it further, but yeah, this is, you know, this is a a personal history, a personal telling of the time. And so it's hard to kind of like break that away from actual like historical analysis. But so I know it's a good start for me to like kind of break into that, uh, that time, that moment in history, though. So 1993's Red Azalea by Anchi Min. Uh, she was born in Shanghai and she was like only nine years old when that cultural revolution began, you know, everything, everyone following the little red book, all the, uh, stuff from Mao, you know, it details a lot of her memories of this area of the, sorry, this era, just growing up destitute with, you know, a lot of like larger families in her area and all, uh, communal spaces and stuff. And, all the pressure to conform to Maoist ideals and mm-hmm. her internal struggle when she's, you know, challenged to put these ideals before her actual beliefs and, you know, being pitted against people she cares about. Like uh, there's a moment in the beginning when she's, you know, asked to essentially out her teacher as an American spy in a sort of way, or like, you know, someone who's pushing capitalism, mm-hmm. capitalist ideals in school. Uh, and so, you know, it's a really powerful read and I got through the 300 pages and only just a few settings. Uh, and that's kind of due to the way that it's written. It's very like, it's also like, you know, she wrote this after she had came, had come to America. 
Mm-hmm. And she didn't speak English when she moved here. So she was writing this book through while learning English. So um, wow. it's very like shorter, concise sentence structure. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's it almost like gets uh, more detailed as it, as it goes along. So it's kind of like interesting to think about it that way. Cool. But so, yeah, it's not really a hard read, but it doesn't like take a long time to read, but sitting with like the alternate reality that it presents to you, like putting yourself in her shoes and the shoes of so many others that had that same life path is what takes like more time to digest, I guess. Mm-hmm. So it starts with their childhood. Uh, she's like a part of the little red guard of like the revolution. So kind of like bringing children up to like study and worship these ideals. And then, so and then it follows her subsequent transfer to like a collective labor farm when she was wow. 17. So they would, you know, they were planting rice basically and, and harvesting rice near the uh, uh, South China Sea for like 16 hours a day, just grueling kind of conditions and uh, the whole like leadership. Um, you know, you're not. Like from her perspective, it's like she wasn't allowed to be kind of an individual. And that was like, you know, shunned. And it's reminding um, me of just like, uh, for some reason, I'm getting like a flash of like an image of like any westernized book, like beginning off with like the teenage years were tough for me. <laughs> it's like, yeah, no, they, no, they weren't. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know. It, it's really hard to think about, uh, you know, different eras in time and you know, how fortunate you are to kind of grow up in this, this time and Chicken under different soup. circumstances. And yeah, Chicken it's just for the teenage really soul. Is. like, <laughs> yeah, that's what it's all about. Um, <laughs> I don't want to give any away anything more about like that exact part, but like the rest of the book kind of details her experiences that, you know, every, every kind of hardship takes her further away from her, like from her childhood when she was initially like wholeheartedly belief believing in like Maoist ideals and everything. Um, so yeah, like I said, she started working on this memoir after she emigrated to the U S in like the mid eighties. And that was after the death of Mao. So that was kind of, you know, the cultural revolution was like a 10 year period. Um, and like, uh, it's, it's, you, you know, she's a very interesting person to be writing this memoir because like she was kind of, chance chance kind of like plucked her out of this mm-hmm. life and allowed her like initially to get away from like the the labor camp and stuff and that's something that i don't want to like reveal too much right. in this review but like so um so like chance kind of plucked her away but then the death of mao kind of like changed her whole circumstance so then that was when she kind of started her path to move like to America and like, mm-hmm. you know, become an author. And so the really interesting connection that I discovered only after reading the book, like doing my research for this was the person who actually helped her with the immigration process and like to get herself started in America was one of her friends mm-hmm. who is actress Joan Chen, who you okay. may know as Joe as Josie Packard from Twin Peaks. Whoa! Yeah, whereas uh, she was also, you know, one of the stars of uh, Bernardo uh, Bertolucci's like The Last Emperor. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, so that was really cool, a uh, really cool connection for me to discover. And you know, after looking more into like Joan Chen's life, they kind of lived sort of parallel lives, so it sort of 
makes sense that they, you know, I wonder if like, uh, friends. I wonder if like Lynch had any kind of like insight into that because the actual story of her during like Twin Peaks is very sort of like she has like some sort of like sordid past with the like, like, I think she's Chinese in, in, uh, in Twin Peaks, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, well, she has that connection to that uh, guy uh, who's still in China. Yeah, who like um, yeah. shows up, shows up later on. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Well, like I'm just thinking of the timeline. Like this book was from 93 and Twin Peaks was like 92 or 91, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, um, maybe like Joan Chen was able to help her with the uh, right. publishing process or something. So that's pretty cool. Pretty cool connection there. Um, so, and yeah, like if, if I was able, if I went on and revealed more about like the storyline here, it would make more sense like that connection too. But. Cool. So, so yeah, this book was a really, like I said before, a very personal account of a time in history. And that's what I find interesting to digest is that, you know, viewing it as a personal account instead of rather than a historical account. So like as much as I would, as much as the book kind of wants you or, you know, like makes you generalize the experience, I, I feel like that's not fair. And that's something that's kind of new to me, like approaching in my reading, like, you know, not, not taking something as like a hundred percent of how everything was. And, you know, Mm-hmm. Like it, but it does help to fill the gap in education of like what the cultural revolution was like, at least at least for one person, right. and how pervasive the Maoist ideology was like in her life. But that's usually the best way. It's like you read if you read a Wikipedia article or a textbook or something like that about this. That usually the the more like the only way that I feel like we can really like get into stuff is like oh personal account of like exactly. something with a bigger context. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so that kind of made me more interested to like try and view it from a different perspective and everything and, you know, look a little bit more into this, too. Also, because like I found a one star review here and it's different from other one star reviews because it's like more of a critical viewpoint that reinforces the fact that it's a personal account and not historical. Mm -hmm. So this is from user uh, Dorothea. And she says, I give this four stars for the pros. Simple, bare, naked, but one star overall. It's just the sort of book about China one expects to find in mainstream America. The stories may be true, but it still feels like propaganda. And so that that's what makes me kind of like double take on like thinking about what I read and everything and like personal accounts, but also I need to like, I need to read more, you know? Yeah. I mean, that, that, that's like the same type of thing. Um, you know, you're always like second guessing, like if this is the most popular account of, you know, black America selected by white America. Exactly. You know, then like, then what, you know, Oh, this is like the picture perfect, like Mao, like essay thing or whatever. Um, yeah, that's interesting. Exactly. Yeah. So you can't, you can't stop at one book and just say, you know, I've learned it. So I can't speak on everything, but this book was, I liked this book and Mm. it was, you know, powerful. And that's all I'm going to say for now. (laughs) I, I do recommend it. And 
Uh, one last thing I want to talk about is that sometimes when I've like really decided that I'm just going to sit down and read for a few hours, like I did with this book, um, I'll put on some instrumental music, some good headphones, just kind of dig into it. Yes. And so for this book, I listened to the uh, Philip Glass soundtrack for uh, Koyana Skatsi. Nice. So if you want to copy me in that, I recommend it. (laughs) It makes you read so fast when it like really (laughs) picks up. You're just like, you're just like, you're following the music like line by line, like as you're reading. Sometimes I, it's not always possible depending on what you're reading, but I do the same thing, like phone completely out of sight, headphones on, like listening to music. But what I like to do, if it's possible, is to find something like like music that basically the author would have like theoretically been able to have been like listening to. Like uh, like I've read just like uh, time period wise. Yeah, like, like yeah. I've read Balzac where like I will Google like who was like the composer of the day in oh. France, <laughs> in like the 1800s and it would be Yeah, like, who was on the radio? Yeah, <laughs> not the radio, but yeah. Same idea. Okay. That's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's always good. So I guess mine was not really lined up, but maybe due to the time period that she would have written the book. Maybe. Because Goyana Scotty is like 82. Mm, there you go. Yeah. I like that shit, though. Just like um, like more modern composers and uh, instrumental music like that. I listen to a lot of like uh, uh, Ryuichi Sakamoto, like piano stuff right. when i read too that's that's really good nice cool uh good job that sounds awesome i we will continue in our quest for learning more about mal but it's also one of the, I, it's funny how like in life you have to pick your lane you know oh yeah it's you like can. you like i can go spend 10 years learning about that if, if, you, if you so choose <laughs> yep gotta choose all right well i chose and actually this uh my author this week is a repeat author for me on the podcast i've talked about this author once before so i don't have to go hopefully don't have to go into too much of biographical detail okay. uh, but first let me pose a mark style question before i reveal the author and the title i feel like you're always like asking me a question first um what's a book and if I'm just putting you on the spot and you can't think of anything, no guilt. But what's a book that you are just living your daily life and then and then maybe it doesn't have to be your favorite book or something that you're thinking about all the time, but something like a book that comes up in your mind where you're, when you're just living daily life and you think, oh, like that is like that book. Like a concept that like comes up. Hmm. I think uh, I think sometimes I think I think I do that mostly with like negative moments for some reason. Like I I don't I don't like I'm not like happy or whatever or like doing like enjoying something and being like ah oh, this is just like my favorite book or whatever. It's more <laughs> like when I'm when I'm more like tired and like feeling more cynical and stuff i'll be like this is what (laughs) you know this is what uh fucking uh something happened joseph heller like like this is you know stuff like that like 
this reinforces how shitty everything is. <laughs> like, right, yeah, yeah. just in small moments like that, I'll, 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 that's when I'm like more prone to think about like literary characters and stuff. I think. Cool. Yeah. Okay. So this book that I hold in my hand right now is that book for me, where I'll just be either watching TV or you know doing stuff or whatever. And there's a lot of concepts in this book. And I can say, like, I have—I didn't remember, like, a single character. I'm going into my back catalog. I didn't just finish reading this book. I, I read it, like, a while ago. Okay. But the author that I'm talking about is Arthur C. Clarke, who I've talked about before. And I covered his book, Rendezvous with Rama. And um, this book that I'm about to talk about is Childhood's End. Have you ever heard of this book? Um, I have heard of that. That's As- Asimov, and I think there's an Iron Maiden song named after it. There's no Asimov. He's not in- Asimov's not involved with childhood. Who is it? It's Arthur C. Clarke. Oh, God. yeah. Sorry, I'm mixing it up. But I think that's... Uh, <laughs> They're easy I to think, get confused. <laughs> I think that's Iron Maiden's song. Childhood's <laughs> End. It is. Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's a title that gets borrowed by other things. Um, there's actually There's actually a... Stargate Atlantis episode named Childhood's End. Uh, <laughs> one of uh, Mark and I's guilty pleasures, Stargate Atlantis. Um, it's the the episode where the kids all kill each other to protect themselves from the wraith. You remember that one? Yes, yes. Um, so anyway, there's this book, Childhood's End. And what I'm saying, it, like, I think also kind of like, I talked about Rendezvous with Rama about how like, Clark isn't really about like characters. He's more about like concepts. So like, it's the same sort of thing with like war of the worlds. Like people remember the concept of war of the worlds, but no one like talks about like the main character. You know, it's not like going back to how I'm an undateable morose person in Dostoevsky, you know, crime and punishment is about like Raskolnikov and like, he's like this, like, you know, character that he like perfectly crafted or whatever, but like, Arthur C. Clarke is more about concepts and childhood's end, I think just comes up in daily life because there's so many concepts like compounded on top of one another, especially stuff that has come back. That's more like cyclical in, mm-hmm. in nature. Like, you know, for instance, let me get into like the plot, like the actual plot of the book. So childhood's end is about, um, it's like a typical like sci-fi story where it's like, okay, the main overarching concept is that we're about to have first contact with alien life, but in like the modern era. So like spaceships are coming down and like, this is happening. Like on earth, people are going to meet intergalactic beings for the first time. Like Mars attacks. Like Mars attacks, but, uh, but you can, I, I hopefully you can glean some of the mood from the um, from the title, you know, childhood's end. Like, what would you in that context? What would you think that would mean? Uh, I think it calls for a drastic end. It is it talking to the child, like childhood of the entire Earth. Like yeah. we're taking the next step. Okay. Yeah, basically that's what it is. It's basically like aliens re- like come down. They come down, you know, seemingly for the first time. And it's basically the idea that once human beings interact with, um, you know, these alien beings that are coming down, that the like the era of human history that we are currently in is over. Like childhood is over. 
because greater has happened. But the interesting thing that I think, you know, the reason why I said, you know, this book comes up in my mind all the time, even though it's not my favorite book or whatever, is all these concepts piled on top of each other. So one of the concepts in here is actually, you know, we're all familiar. I hope you're familiar with the show Ancient Aliens. I've never watched it, but I know the you know, I know the concept. about it. Yeah, you know yeah. The concept. So the idea of Ancient Aliens, which was a show on History Channel that was like sort of memeable, but the idea of Ancient Aliens is the idea that like the Mayan calendars weren't just like invented by someone. It was that aliens have visited this planet before, and that's where we got like the concept of God and, and you know all these other things. Um, and that. First of all, like right off the bat, once this begins, that is a concept in this book. Something really cool and sort of like shocking. I, I bet people have already made movies about this. Um, but what's cool and shocking in the book that introduces that fact is like these aliens come down. And, you know, the classic idea of like the aliens stepping out of the spaceship is... Yeah. The aliens, when they step out of the spaceship, everyone is, like, super confused. And obviously there's, like, news cameras there and stuff. And everyone's really, really confused because the um, the aliens look like the devil. <laughs> so, really? like, right off the bat, you can obviously, like, you know, theorize that, like, there would be so much, like, human infighting about, like, they're demons, they're hell, they're from <laughs> hell, you know, like, whatever. But, like, the overarching concept is that, like, we have this idea of, like, these red-horned devils and stuff because they had, like, visited us in the past, and that's where it comes from. So it's, like, all of these, like, concepts that Arthur C. Clarke is layering on top of each other where it's, like, yeah, like, ancient aliens, you know, like, what would happen if this happened, what would happen if that happened? And it's the same thing with, like, when I did that book, Rendezvous with Rama, where he's, like, he's just that, like, he's, like, this inventor-type guy who's into, you know, space and satellites and radio waves and stuff like that. So in the same sense that Rendezvous with Rama was about, like, what if there was a cylinder going through space creating its own gravity? Like, that's such, like, a trippy thing. Uh, Childhood's End is, like, that same intellect kind of being, like, but what would really happen if, like, these aliens came? And I think that that's, like, one of the interesting things about the title is that the overarching concept of these aliens coming is that they basically like completely zero out through the course of the book, you know, a bunch of different things happen, but like the sum total of the book kind of starts to become like these aliens visit us. And then like every single human like problem in terms of like war and economy and everything is like solved instantly, you know, this sort of like, deus ex machina like thing where it's like we don't need economy anymore um okay so it has all these like really interesting ideas of like who are people and like what do they do like post work like posts like (laughs) any sort of like like it's like basically like yeah people are like creatives and like money sort of exists but then like when these devil aliens came down they like gave us everything that we could ever desire in terms of power and energy and whatever but then it also creates a sort of Ah, i'm be out of a job i know the the structure collapsed well i mean we could still podcast i guess (laughs) yeah pretty much so like right. that like like yeah like what would the world be like if this like topsy turvy thing happened where it was like there's no reason to do anything anymore I mean like to be honest it would be probably a good book to reread during quarantine because so much stuff is changing yeah 
so yeah, I mean, childhood's end, not to mention that my like particular edition is like, you know, one of those perfect, um, you know, used bookstore books where it's like yellowed pages and one of the corners is turned is like cut off. And, uh, oh, what's the cover look like? The cover's pretty cool. I'll tweet out a picture of it. It's a it's a green like sci-fi cover, and it's just like this big giant alien spaceship pulling up over what looks to be probably New York City, um, but basically like a major city. And um, yeah, I mean it's just a cool book. Like I said, like living throughout life, not only seeing Childhood's End like in different titles of shows or different things like that, but it always just like comes up in my mind like this idea of of human humans on the planet as a whole are in this sort of like adolescence that may or may not end given many different factors. Yeah. I'm reading the lyrics to the uh, Iron Maiden song childhood's end, and it doesn't seem to be connected at all. <laughs> well, the or, yeah. Stargate Atlantis titles being that it's sci-fi is definitely, uh, definitely related somehow has to be. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's really not too much to go into I think you should just read the book if you're interested in like what I'm talking about. And like I said, Arthur C. Clarke is not like some guy where it's like, oh, like all the most, you know, emotional characters and all that stuff. He's kind of more like concepts. Uh, and if you can, if you're into that, then it's going to work for you. That's kind of what I like about sci-fi. Like that's how I feel about, um, uh, Philip K. Dick is more like of an idea guy. Right. Idea guy. So yeah, R.O.C. Clark, definitely really good. This book comes up in my ideas of things. I mean, mine is, my thing is pretty short today because I didn't like fully reread it. I'm going back into my archives, but Childhood's End is, is awesome. And it's really good. Just like the whole idea of like what he, what he brings up and, and the concept that he brings forth. And actually it's funny that you said how you had uh, a unique one star review. Cause I think I've found my most unique one star reviews as well. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'll just go right into it. This is from Goodreads one star review from user Zig Z I G. <laughs> And he or she says, I always feel so terrible when I read or attempt to read Arthur C. Clarke, but I also feel terrible when I don't. I like fantasy. I like science fiction. Arthur C. Clarke is a genius, a pioneering, far-sighted sci-fi icon. I should like reading his books. And so I try every once in a while in the same spirit that I eat half a banana once or twice a year. <laughs> I like fruit. Bananas are good for you. But I have yet to finish either a banana or an Arthur C. Clarke book. It's me. <laughs> And then the final sentence is really good, too. He says, it's me. It must be. So I'm giving myself the one star as a reader, not the book. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Half a banana. Half a banana and one star reader. Uh, <laughs> tell that guy is funny. Or that, that's Who great. Um, yeah. So, yeah, if you if you can't eat one whole banana in a year, then you should check out Childhood's End. Very nice. Very good. But don't put it on your bookshelf because it's a red flag for sure to be t too into sci-fi. It's not right. good. It has to be sort of like on your bookshelf, but only like kind of on your bookshelf. Bottom shelf. <laughs> yeah. Bottom shelf, not eye level. Yep. 
no eye level Arthur C. Clarke, or you're undateable. Yeah, and if you if your guy is reading books and then making a book report in his 30s, red flag. Red flag. Huge red flag. <laughs> <laughs> Talking about pension in his 30s, horrifying. Ouch. Yikes. That's a big <laughs> yikes. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. This has been Shitty Book Reports, a very short Shitty Book Reports, but hey, sometimes those ones are popular. Um, You can find us everywhere where your podcasts are not sold because this podcast is free. You can reach out to us at sbrthepodcast at gmail.com, SoundCloud, Spotify, Instagram, Twitter, Stitcher, all the things that have colorful little icons dancing around on your computer or phone. You can find us there. Um, Thanks for listening to us, and uh, we'll see you next time. Yep, have a good one.